Okay, good evening and welcome to the September 2022 meeting of the San Francisco Animal Commission. My name is Michael Angelo Torres and I'm your commission chairperson. We continue to hold our meetings remotely due to the ongoing COVID-19 health emergency and based on recommendations issued by our city and state governments regarding remote meetings. For those of you who are interested in how our commission works or serving on this commission, that information is on our new website at sf.gov forward slash animal commission. On our website, you will also find the agendas, minutes, and supporting documents from past meetings, as well as audio and videos of our meetings. So please check out our website at sf.gov forward slash animal commission. Please also feel free to follow our commission social media accounts. Links to our Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter pages are located on our website's About Us page, which can be accessed by clicking on the blue Learn More About Us button on our website's homepage. I also want to mention that we are currently experiencing delays in the conversion in the conversion process that allows for us to upload the meeting videos to our website. This delay means that newer meeting videos are not on our website for at least a few days, whereas they were usually there by the next morning. So video of tonight's meeting may not be on our website until sometime early next week. But if anyone has an immediate need for video of tonight's meeting, requests can be sent to me and I can provide the link and password to download the video. Requests can be sent to michaelangelo.torres at sfdph.org. That's M-I-C-H-A-E-L-A-N-G-E-L-O dot T-O-R-R-E-S at sfdph.org. My contact information is also on our website. Please be aware that this link provided will be to download the actual video as opposed to viewing or streaming the video. So this will be for an actual download of the video. Members of the public who wish to comment during the meeting can call 415-655-0003 and use access code 2456-764-1275. Please make your comments in accordance with the agenda. Uh, Commissioner Tobin, could you please take roll from the list of names signed on to the meeting? Yes, um, I see Chair Torres, Vice Chair Ozanoy, um, Commissioners Tobin, Chan, Fortier, Irani, Van Horn, as well as Dr. Sherry O'Neill of SFACC, um, Christopher Campbell of SF Rec and Park, it let us know that he will not be here tonight. And Officer Joe Majewski is also not present. Okay, great. And you also mentioned that uh, Commissioner Chan is here as well, right? I did. Uh, did okay, I? Uh, I hope so. Commissioner Chan. Okay, good. Okay, great. Uh, moving on to general public comment. At this time, members of the public may address the commission with comments on items within the commission's jurisdiction other than items that are on the agenda. With our previous meetings, I will be facilitating uh, the public comment periods at tonight's meeting. Uh, members of the public who wish to comment should hit star three on their phone to be added to the speaker's queue. I will unmute your phone line when it's your turn to speak. When prompted, you will have two minutes to make a comment. Please be aware that after your two minutes have passed, your phone line will be muted again and I will go on to the next caller. I am checking the speakers, the queue. Okay, it looks like we currently have four callers in the queue. I'm going to unmute the first caller.
Okay, you can offer your comments. I am a taxpayer in San Francisco, and I am very distressed about the new ACC policy about leaving healthy cats to remain outdoors. Um, and excuse me, caller, ACC... I'm going to interrupt. I think this is on the agenda. Okay. So if you don't mind yep. listening, we're going to listen to the presentation. And if there's okay. anything you want yep. to comment on that is not on the agenda, we will welcome we will welcome that at, again at the end of the meeting. But let's uh, let's let's stick to the um, agenda non-agenda items for okay. the public comment, please. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much, Commissioner Portia, for catching that. Um, as callers have heard, um, we will be um, having a presentation that'll. Uh, touch on the policy. So, if you are uh, interested in offering a comment on that particular item, please um, refrain from commenting right now and instead please comment during that uh, agenda item. Okay, so I do still see two hands up. I will go ahead and um, unmute those callers one at a time. But if it is, uh, if you do have a comment for that agenda item, please just let me know and I will go on to the next caller. Okay, caller, you can give your comments. Hi, thanks for the clarification. I'll refrain and wait until this particular agenda item is spoken about. Okay, thank you so much. Okay, going on to the last caller. Okay, you can make your comment, please. Thanks for me. I'll refrain until later. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you so much. Great, I'm clearing all raised hands. Okay, uh, so public comment is closed. Uh, let's move on to the approval of the draft minutes from the August 2022 meeting. The draft minutes for our August meeting were distributed to commissioners early this week, and I believe everyone has had a chance to review them. Um, are there any questions, comments, or corrections to the draft minutes before voting? Okay, uh, seeing none, uh, when I call your name, please state if you're in favor of approving the minutes or no if you're not in favor. Uh, Commissioner Chan? Aye. Okay, Commissioner Fortier? Aye. Commissioner Irani? Aye. Commissioner Ozenoy? Aye. Commissioner Tobin? Aye. Okay, and Commissioner Van Horn? Aye. Okay, great. Uh, the minutes are approved. Okay, moving on to chairpersons and commissioner reports. Commissioner's reports regarding the recent activities in the community involving animal issues that have been discussed by the commission in the past. Are there any reports to share? I can raise my hand. Michael, Commissioner Fortier. Yeah, just a quick, um, I, saw, I saw in the Chronicle this week that um, wild care in San Rafael was getting a lot of calls about animals in distress about the heat. And just a little shout out to our friends up at, um, at Wildcare that are always on top of things and letting the public know that splayed out um, squirrels are trying to cool themselves off and, and other wildlife. So I just wanted to touch on that. This, this is an organization that's spoken here before and they do so much. That's all. Yeah, thank you. I did see that article yesterday as well. It had some adorable pictures, but yeah, that's a real good thing to point out. <laughs> Any other reports? Uh, Commissioner hey. Tobin. 
Yeah, sorry about that. I can't find my raise the hand button right now. Okay. But just just a reminder that the um, bark the boat is scheduled for Saturday, October twenty second at Alamo Square, ten a.m. to two p.m. Um, the purpose of the event is to promote civic engagement and voter registration, and hope to see you guys there. Great, thank you. Mm -hmm. Any other reports? Okay, I don't see any any indications of any other reports. So thank you, everyone. And moving on to new business. The needs of San Francisco homeless of San Francisco's homeless cats. Maria Conlin from Gimme a Shelter, Gimme Shelter Res Cat Rescue, and Alina J, uh, a volunteer with SF SPCA, will present on their experiences rescuing and advocating for cats in San Francisco. Um, we're all very excited to welcome Maria and uh, Alina to our meeting this evening. Uh, but before we start the presentation, I wanted to give a little background on this agenda item and the two other agenda items that will follow this one. As many of us who have participated in recent commission meetings know, the majority of public comments being made have been about the admissions policy for cats at animal care and control. In addition to those public comments at meetings, others have reached out to the commission via email and on social media. Since that time, we have also received inquiries from a supervisor's office, and some of us have also received messages containing a link to sign a petition concerning the CAT admissions policy. Earlier, after hearing some of the initial public comments, most of which were more in the form of a question, what exactly is the policy, instead of an actual comment, I thought the best way to respond would be to provide policy information as part of our ongoing reporting from animal control animal care and control agenda item. This is what we have every every month um, where information about animal care and control and, and some statistics is shared. Instead of doing that, it was suggested to me that it be its own agenda item, which seeing how it continues to be a concern or come up makes complete sense. Around the same time, the commission received a few of what I felt were very heartfelt messages from advocates describing some of the challenges that they regularly face while responding to the needs of our cat population. While reading these messages, I was reminded of just how little I know about cat rescue, and I know that there are others out there who might also have questions about it too. So I thought we could all benefit from a presentation about helping and rescuing cats, especially homeless cats, as I believe they are one of our most vulnerable animal communities in San Francisco. So what I thought would be helpful is to hear a presentation about rescued cats and um, what goes with the challenges and um, the experiences of advocating for cats before we actually have the animal care and control presentation. Uh, I thought doing this would help us to know a little bit more about cat rescue. Um, and before I think I thought it would help a little bit more to know a little bit more about cat rescue before receiving clarification um, from animal care and control concerning the policy. So for this meeting, we will hear a presentation on cat rescue and advocacy, followed by at our October meeting, a presentation on the animal admissions policy at the SF Animal Care and Control. This will then hopefully be followed by a commission discussion at our November meeting on next steps in which panelists from tonight's meeting and next month's meeting will be invited to attend. It's our hope that with these presentations, we'll be able to agree on ways in which to help both feral and domestic cats in our city. So um, I look forward to informative presentations as well as productive and respectful discussions at these meetings. So. Uh, Maria and Elena, please feel free to begin your presentation when you're ready. And thank you again for being here tonight. 
thank you. I'm just going to share my document here. Give me a second. You can see the screen? Yes. Okay. Go into presentation mode, hopefully. There we go. Ah, it worked. Look at that. Amazing. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you so much. We wanted to thank you as well for having uh, giving us the opportunity to speak on behalf of the homeless cats of San Francisco. And thank you in particular to Commissioner Torres, who was very thoughtful and helpful throughout the process and getting us set up to speak. So thank you for that. Um, and this here wagging his tail is my little is Percy, my Tony's Kitty Rescue graduate from nine years ago. Um, so he's going to help me out today. So we wanted to just kind of share a little bit about ourselves before we got get started. Um, I've been, I actually started volunteering. At, I've been a resident of San Francisco for 30 years, but I started volunteering at the Red, the Red Cat program in San, at Animal Care and Control. So that's actually where I started learning about a lot of this stuff. And I quickly progressed to an orange cat volunteer, which is the ones that work with the behavior cats, allow the cats to adjust um, to being in the shelter situation. So I learned a lot of a lot about cats in that time. And I also started fostering kittens for Tony's Kitty Rescue after becoming uh, an ACC volunteer. And then when I was in the shelter volunteering with the kitties, I met Michelle from Gimme Shelter. She was coming in to visit a cat that had been offered to her by ACC as a rescue, you know, a rescue offering. So this cat needed a home because he wasn't an adoption candidate at the shelter. So I met her and then I learned a little bit about Gimme Shelter and I thought, wow, they, they, they didn't have a lot of the cats on the website that they had available. They didn't have a strong social media presence. So I started taking over that kind of stuff for them. Eight years later, now I'm fostering medical and behavior cats. I'm currently taking care of a cat that has FIP. I'm the diabetic cat foster, so I do a lot of those kinds of cats. I do all the adoptions for the cats. I manage the foster homes and the intake of cats, as well as do the social media. Um, we're a grassroots rescue, so we're super small. We have about three, really three main volunteers and then about four other people that sort of help doing different kinds of things. And we have about 20 to 30 foster homes where we house all of our kitties. Um, and I do this while I work a full-time job at a bank and um, oversee a team of 30 people, but I, I manage the operations team for that, for that team. And then Alina. Hi, all. Uh, can everyone hear me? Yes. Okay, perfect. Um, so my name is Alina. I am a San Francisco native. Been here all my life. Uh, and my background is in sustainability and human rights. I actually uh, did that in school at Agnes Scott College in Georgia. And then I worked in the mayor's office of Atlanta there uh, in the sustainability department. So I have a special love for wildlife conservation. And that was realized in 2015. I was working at a biological station in Costa Rica um, doing sea turtle and mammal surveys. Um, and my rescue journey actually began in Malaysia, uh, of all places, while I was working on a Fulbright scholarship teaching English and conservation biology. Um, so I worked with the Kota Kinabalu SPCA, and we were actually able to get 20 cats and dogs that were living in my school um, fixed and vaccinated. Uh, and that actually avoided their extermination. They were going to bring someone in to exterminate all the animals. So um, that was really exciting uh, project. And when I got back from uh, that, I started doing dog rescue uh, and then learned how to TNR, trap, neuter, and spay, and return um, in Hawaii uh, with um, 
the Cat Friends Kalihi. And uh, once I learned how to TNR, there was no going back. I'm doing cat rescue all day, all the time, um, and have TNR'd uh, over 200 cats now in two years. Uh, and I'm recently disabled, but I'm still working as a cat community director at Andrea's Dream Rescue and doing my best to continue TNR as well as I'm able. So that's me. Great, thanks. Um, so just wanted to give you a little overview of what we're going to talk about today. Um, Alina will go through the history of CAT TNR in San Francisco, some benefits of TNR, as well as some stories from the community. We also wanted to bring up our, you know, our concern to talk about the cat, the healthy outdoor cat policy, and then cats and kittens that have been turned away by ACC. Also, the dangers of leaving the cats and kittens outside. And then we had a little thing, a few things that we wanted to share about ACC. We wanted to talk about other communities that are um, fighting back against these kinds of policies and how we can work together to achieve our goal. All right, so I'm going to go through this pretty quickly because we don't have too much time, but um, I'm a relatively new rescuer. I've only started this maybe two years ago, but this information comes from people who trap experienced trappers who have been doing this for 30, 40 years. Um, so they recount their history. Um, 30 years ago, there were hundreds of cats in Golden Gate Park. Um, and actually a devoted volunteer group started humanely trapping them to get them fixed and paying for all spay and neuter out of their own pockets. Um, and due to the demand from this grassroots res uh, rescuers, um, 1993, SFSPCA established their free feral fix program, now called Community Cat Program. Um, and due to these intensive efforts from compassionate Good Samaritans in the 90s, uh, feral populations in Golden Gate Park have completely diminished, unless recently abandoned there. Um, there are hardly any cats in Golden Gate Park. Uh, and uh, five years ago, um, due to extreme dedication and hard work from these rescuers, community cat program, trappers, um, uh, experts say that uh, SF was close to a zero population growth feral population. So um, really good work, really doing a good job um, reducing the population of feral cats. Um, so we had a system that worked uh, with concerned members of the public calling into ACC or SFSPCA, and they would then either help instruct finders and in how to trap cats or call in experienced TNR volunteers who would trap cats and kittens, including unfixed, abandoned, or sick and injured cats. And SF was really on the vanguard uh, developing programs that were a model for cities across America and internationally. Uh, we were really looked at as an example of how, how to do really good work and have good results. Um, unfortunately, in 2019, things have started to change. So currently, SFSBCA is no longer intaking any cats not adopted out by them and only taking kittens under eight weeks old, under week, eight weeks old, just from officially assigned trapping jobs with official volunteers. So a very, very small amount of intake um, directly from volunteers. Uh, and SFACC is now no longer accepting healthy, stray, lost, and abandoned cats, um, let alone ferals for TNR. Um, so history is kind of repeating itself there, where we have unfixed cat and kittens back on the streets, meaning huge population growth. An example of this is I'm actually on vacation in Hawaii right now. Um, and in the two weeks that I've been here, I've gotten five calls from members of the public to trap uh, colonies of 30, 20 cats, a total of 80 cats uh, in homes from Visitation Valley, Excelsior, Bayview, Lower Mission. 
Um, so really there's a cat population explosion happening. Uh, if just in two weeks I can get calls for 80 cats. Next. So I'm gonna go through this quickly again, um, but all of these situations on this slide uh, are things that have happened to travelers. Um, these are real life situations. Um, trapping cats and kittens is real tough. It's not easy work. Um, I can say from experience uh, that I've trapped for 10 hours before in an abandoned, burnt out building uh, in the Bayview and um, no access to food, water, bathroom, trying to trap a colony with multiple litters of kittens, multiple adults, all unfixed, living in this abandoned house. Um, I've trapped at all hours of the night. I've even gone through six different trapping sites in two days uh, and all with abandoned or orphaned kittens that were found during the 4th of July. So during fireworks, it was urgent that they be rescued ASAP. Um, and I've spent months training a single extremely smart tomcat to go into a trap to finally be caught um, for neuter and then relocation. So trapping is really tough. It is not easy work. Expect to be sitting in one place for hours and hours at a time. Uh, and you're literally trying to herd cats. So results can be very varied in terms of success. Um, next slide. So there are a lot of benefits to TNR that I have witnessed myself as a rescuer and other rescuers have also witnessed. Um, but here are some studies that talk about that. And this study actually specifically targets uh, San Francisco. Um, so uh, the study did an initial population of 175 cats that declined by 99.4% over a 16 year program period. So of the 258 total cats enrolled between 2004 and 2020, only one remained at the end of the program. So basically out of 258 cats in a colony in 2004, uh, by 2020, only one cat remained on the site, 107 had been adopted and 10 were in foster as of 2020. Um, so this study was really uh, recommending assessment and foster programs as essential to adoption pathways and which resulted in immense long-term outdoor cat population decline. So adoption in tandem with TNR is really essential to get control of these overpopulation uh, and it can result in really huge success. So next slide. So some more benefits of TNR. This study again reiterates the importance of adoptions in tandem with TNR. So uh, it looked at over 2000 cats that were caught and fixed and uh, at intensive TNR and adoption in a single urban area with high shelter cat impoundment. Um, so socialization and adoption was another big part of this study. Uh, it's looking at how taking in uh, cats from the street, assessing them, um, seeing what needs they have was really important to their adoption. Um, and these were provided by the shelter and resulted in immediate colony reduction. Uh, so with concentrated community outreach, high volume TNR and adoptions in an area of high shelter intake, it actually resulted in a 66% decrease in shelter impoundment over two years. Next slide. So this study was looking at 2,300 female cats that were brought to a TNR clinic for spay. 
Uh, so it was determining reproductive capacity of breeding free roaming cats. So how much um, these female cats that were free roaming were reproducing and then also kitten survival rate. So they found that cats produced 1.4 litters per year with three kittens a litter with a range of one to six kittens in a litter. Um, so cats can start reproducing at four months old. So you can imagine with a uh, colony size of 2000, uh, how many kittens and then kittens of their kittens are being made uh, and causing overpopulation. Uh, overall, 75% um, of the kittens studied uh, died before six months of age with 48% dying or disappearing before 100 days old. Uh, trauma, including attack by predators and car accidents was the most common reported cause of death. Um, and then a lot of cat kittens didn't have a cause of death that was determined, but they did have, they were noted as having strong signs of disease. Next. So we wanted to talk about the stories from the community um, that not all cats are free roaming or feral. So since we're focused on the homeless cats today. So just some, some examples that we got from um, members of the rescue community that an, an unneutered kitty actually ran up to the person and climbed on their leg. What would, but what would happen today if we called ACC? Would they take that cat in? Because the cat needs to be neutered, right? Another one is that they found a dirty, starving cat wandering on the street. They called the, um, they were able to scan him for a chip, check the chip, and the chip company said, the woman said she had thrown the cat away a long time ago. Don't bother calling me about that cat again. This kind of stuff happens all the time. A lot of the cats that are outside are either lost or abandoned. Another one is an example of a person left. They moved out of their apartment and they left their cat sitting on the front doorstep. We hear about this kind of thing all the time. Another example, uh, a kitty was dumped in a feral colony among feral cats, a friendly kitty. And when they found the when they called the microchip, the man said to leave him or oh, no, sorry, wrong on this one. When they called ACC to ask, what should we do with this friendly cat? They said, leave him there in the vacant lot so he could find his way home. Two weeks later, the kitty was still there. He obviously did not find his way home. And then a neighbor's cat had been missing for several days. They scanned the chip. They called the person. They said they don't want him anymore. So again, it's another person abandoned their cat. They don't want the cat anymore. There's no home for the cat to go home to go back to. And then again, another one in Chinatown, uh, a home, uh, a building being vacated for re repairs, lots of garbage and unfixed kitty sitting there all by himself. So these stories just go on and on. Cats have no home to go back to and, and yet they're sitting there abandoned, homeless and oftentimes unfixed so they can feed into the population of the cats. Another post, um, this is a young, scared tabby cat that was living in a parking lot in the Richmond. Um, and the people who found him posted flyers for blocks and there were just no responses from an owner. Uh, but yet when they tried to call ACC, they were still told that to leave the cat there, the girl cat, and um, just let her be in the parking lot. Um, so, in this case, a uh, friendly, handleable, unfixed, skinny cat, Hungry, was living in a basement uh, with feral colony. Um, so, again, uh, ACC was called about this cat and um, they were told to just leave him there in a basement with feral cats. 
another situation, an indoor-only microchip cat, Barney, escaped. Um, the owners did everything right. They called ACC to report, they flyered, they asked neighbors, um, and a neighbor actually did find him in the backyard and called ACC and was told to leave him there that he would find his own way home. And that cat was uh, still lost for another two weeks before he was able to be returned by another finder. So SFACC, uh, in a response to concerned members of the public, recently uh, suggested that there is uh, misleading information being given out about their policy. Um, we are definitely not. We are just repeating what SFACC has said to us. Um, and actually, we wonder if the way that SFACC has been giving out this information has been misleading. Um, so uh, while there is no information on these new rules in the website, um, there are many people so far that have been able to bring successfully uh, cats, friendly, healthy cats indoor, uh, into ACC. Um, we are getting uh, consistent responses to complaints and, and inquiries that we do not take in healthy cats who are living inside, uh, who are living outside, sorry. Um, so SFACC has been clear in those responses and even in the response where they accuse that information is getting passed around misleading, um, they also reiterate that this time asking um, that people do not bring healthy, friendly cats that they encounter outside. So again and again, they're saying the same thing. They don't wanna have healthy outdoor cats brought inside. Um, so I'm not sure what is misleading about um, that information. And back in March 2019, an email to a, a member of the rescue community from a shelter representative indicated that they were revisiting the, their procedures regarding stray cats in a, that are in ACC that are friendly. We're not talking about semi-feral or feral cats here. These are, we're talking about friendly homeless cats. Um, and they're urging concerned citizens, trappers, and other members of the public to not bring in healthy stray cats that did not appear to be in stress. Yet a friendly cat like the orange cat that was in the feral colony did not seem to be in distress, but doesn't he deserve a chance to be living in a home rather than on the streets? Um, and then we want to, we just want to know, does a ACC have information or the data to justify this policy that um, how many guardians whose cats are free roaming that have been brought into the shelter and they picked up and they complained about versus how many cats could we could save that have been living on the streets? And then whereas you can't find it on ACC's website, but you can find it on Pet Camp's website, uh, Executive Director Virginia Donahue did a video of what to do if you find um, Stray, a stray cat or stray kittens for that matter. So you're welcome to, I know that videos didn't work well, but I put the link in so you can, um, you can also Google it, pet camp, um, animal care and control, I think lost cats or stray cats. They also talk about, um, she also talks about what to do with stray dogs as well. So, so it is out there, but it's not on animal care and control website. So sometimes we get lucky and, um, ACC actually takes in and it takes in one of the cats and that's what happened with this kitty featured right here. Um, he was a member of the re rescue community found found him meowing in a, um, a neighbor had contacted her and he had been found in somebody's backyard. He was meowing. She brought him to ACC. He was not microchipped. He was not neutered. So it might have been that, OK, this is a 
free roaming cat that just lives outside and maybe doesn't have a home or maybe somebody let him out and he's going to find his way home. But that was not the case. Um, this because the cat was taken in by ACC and the people found him, they were able to reunite the cat. And this just happened in August 2022. So this is what we want to see happening. This is the success that we believe that ACC can do. Because the truth is, just like Barney, you know, they're not going to find, they obviously didn't find their way home, you know, or, or what if they don't have a home? So this is the kind of success that we want to see happening. Um, so this was another case um, that was, uh, happened to me. Um, actually, in July of 2021, uh, I was approached by the SPCA. They called me as a volunteer trapper. Um, and they told me that there were reports of multiple maimed cats in a PG&E lot. Um, cats that had one leg uh, cut off um, below, below the knee, or in some cases two legs, so we're only standing on two legs in a gravel yard, so walking on stumps of legs uh, on gravel, an incredibly painful, um, very sad situation. Um, and something, you know, there also were uh, reports of raccoons that have been maimed, so multiple cats, raccoons, something in that yard was um, not right. Um, something was injuring these cats. Uh, and SFACC had been completely unsuccessful in either coordinating with PG&E to uh, access the lot, um, and they were not allowing anyone on the site. PG&E was saying no one can go on this in this yard. Um, or at trapping the maimed cats or any of the cats in the 20 cat colony that were in this unsafe location. So um, the SPCA asked if I could work with SFACC and the SPCA to coordinate trapping these maimed cats, there were two left, uh, and trying to get them um, relocated and medical care. Uh, and within the week, I had organized a walkthrough of the lot with PG&E, uh, recruited two PG&E workers, who also helped us with trapping and helped uh, make break down the barriers between PG&E and our rescue group. Uh, assembled a team of experienced trappers and uh, set up drop traps on the site. So after a week of hard, hard trapping, we were there like 10 hours a day from like 6 a.m. to sundown, um, trying to get these cats that were injured into these traps. Um, we finally were able to catch them. And when we informed SFACC, we were told that if we brought these maimed cats in that we had worked so hard to catch that they would be euthanized if they were brought into SFACC. Uh, at the same time, I had been trapping at a site uh, just a little earlier where uh, a litter of kittens who are pictured here and their mother were attacked by a mastiff. So it was an urgent call. Um, these kittens were in an unsafe location and I was able to catch them and brought them home. Uh, and suddenly I had now not only these kittens and a mom, but also two maimed cats, so traumatically wounded cats to foster because there was no place for them to go. Uh, and I called SFACC uh, to if they couldn't take the two maimed cats um, to see if they would be able to take the kittens, which they had done many times for me before. Uh, and I was actually told not only was I refused um, being able to bring the kittens in, um, but I was also told that SFACC um, was no longer taking kittens in under three months old and uh, requiring people to leave those kittens outside. 
and then also kittens over three months old were to be trapped uh, and TNR'd at the SPCA. Uh, and this was confirmed not only by the front desk staff, by her supervisor as well. They actually called me back to confirm. Um, so, you know, I was really stuck because I had now all these kittens, a mom, cat, and two maimed cats that needed urgent medical care. Um, and I, even though I was working in tandem with SFACC, I still wasn't able to get the support that I needed. Um, I've since spoken to my SPCA supervisors and they did let me know that that is a violation of the agreement SFACC has with the SPCA, uh, where SPCA will take in and adopt out any cats, uh, any animals that SFACC is not able to adopt out. Um, and they have spoken with the supervisors on that subject. Next. Um, so, as uh, the director of cat community at Andrea's Dream Rescue, I get a lot of people who approach me with um, the cats that get rejected from SFACC. So, these are some of the stories of people who have approached me, and I've often um, been the one who ended up helping them. So, Sarah, um, she found a friendly stray cat who had a litter of kittens in a yard. Um, the kittens were able to be weaned. They stayed outside and they were socialized by the people um, whose yard they were in. So everything exactly the way you know SFACC recommends. And the kittens were able to be adopted out. But the mother, they had a really hard time. She was very friendly, very sweet, but they had a hard time finding an adopter for an adult cat. Um, so they tried to bring it in, bring her into ACC. Uh, and the employee, uh, without even looking at the cat, without hearing the story of this cat who had been living for months and months, had a whole litter of kittens and grew the, and raised them and everything in this yard, that she was clearly astray and very friendly. Um, she was told that this mother cat was a lost own cat and should be put back outside. Uh, a simple look into the carrier would have shown that she had been recently lactating, um, that she was unfixed. But uh, she was able to, the, the finder was able to insist that ACC uh, take the cat, but they were very rude to her during that process. Um, another one, Adriana, she found a friendly, dirty cat uh, wandering around days in the, in the street. Um, when she called into ACC, she again was told that it was probably an owned outdoor cat and to put it back outside. Um, without, she was just calling in, the cat had not been seen, the cat, she had not explained the situation, um, they were just rejected. Um, so another member of the public who wishes to rename, uh, remain anonymous, um, she actually found a mother cat who came to her yard uh, and brought her kittens with her um, and she was able to take them in. They were all extremely friendly. And then a little bit later, she found a tomcat on the side of the road uh, on a freeway uh, and was able to um, pick him up and put him in her in her car. Uh, she reached out to ACC about them both and uh, was told that she should try to find the owners on her own uh, for a month. And she did that even though the Tomcat was found in a freeway, so nowhere near her home. Um, she still tried to find an owner. And um, when she was unsuccessful, she again tried to contact SFACC and was told that she was now considered the owner and would have to pay to surrender them. She was unable to afford the fees for this and uh, the cats Got pregnant again. So if she hadn't contacted me, I'm not sure how many cats she would have had in her house. Next. So this is my story on Valentine's Day 2022. I found a beautiful ginger cat just screaming through the street on San Bruno Ave, um, running through traffic. 
and I was easily able to pick him up, um, put him in a carrier, and um, he was completely friendly, even when he was scared out of his mind. I could feel the chip in his neck, but I was told by ACC that this was an owned free roaming cat to put him back and uh, they wouldn't even scan for a chip, unfortunately. So I was able to get him scanned on my own. And within two minutes, I was on the phone with his owners and he was returned to them and they were overjoyed. Somebody told me that um, they couldn't see the screen. Can everybody see the screen? If I do that, or just curious, I can't hear any of the commissioners. Screen is visible. Okay, somebody just let me know. I can see the screen, no problem. Okay, I just want to make sure. So, okay, thank you. Um, anyways, okay, so some of you may have seen this on social media. ACC Animal Care and Control posted that an ACO, ACO found a friendly kitten or a kitten down that had fallen down this thing that was like 15 feet down. Um, they pulled the kitten, they managed to get the kitten to safety, and then they put the kitten back outside in a neighboring yard with several other cats and kittens that she said she saw over there. And so was this kitten ever, um, she, the, the ACO is clearly, ACO animal control officer, for those that you don't know, can clearly handle the kitten, the kittens, like if you were having, if you were holding a feral kitten, you would, that kitten, it would be really, really hard to do. So this kitten obviously has to be somewhat friendly. Um, and yet this kitten was returned to the yard. The kitten wasn't, was potentially not fixed and returned to a yard with other potentially not fixed cats where they continue to, um, reproduce. And why wasn't the kitten given a chance and brought to the shelter to be put up for adoption, you know, um, or maybe a microchip scanned if that's what the case was. So, um, executive director of Virginia Donahue acknowledges that the kitten was not checked and that they should have been, it should have been brought over for spay and neuter. And then there's many dangers for all of these cats and kittens outside. Even the feral cats are, are a bit more savvy and um, know how to navigate the outdoors a little bit more. There's still dangerous conditions for them, but lost and abandoned cats, they don't know how to survive outside with our support. They can't just be left out there to fend for themselves. There's coyotes. I mean, we see them all the time on the city streets, right? They're all around. Uh, raccoons and this guy actually he, he he came in for a photo op just the other night in my window in my kitchen so that's where um, Rocky Raccoon comes from you know so he came right up um, not really that afraid um, and then humans let's face it there's humans like we were cat lovers but there's people that do not like cats at all cars poisons um, birds of prey and then there's disease I think uh, Alina talked about that in, in one of her situations where there were a number of when there's a number of cats together or kittens that are untreated, then the, the infections just spread, you know, all throughout um, cats can get upper respiratory infections, panluke, FIV, the number of cats, right? Outdoor cats will end up being FIV positive, FELV positive, and then flea infestation can just cause anemia. Um, and then the ecolog ecological degradation also comes from overpopulation. And then I, I don't have anything against coyotes. Just want to put it out there. We don't have anything against coyotes, but coyotes do kill cats. And here's an example of somebody's uh, front door video. This is just recently also within the last few weeks The in the bottom um, bottom screen where the circle is, there's a feral cat doesn't really often come. He's a he's a she had she had him fixed. He lives in her in her yard, in her area. 
He's on high alert because he knows the coyotes are coming because he doesn't usually come to the front of the yard. They come in packs. There are actually three of them. They surround and he actually, luckily this guy, cause he's young, agile and, you know, savvy with the neighborhood was able to survive and not, and not, um, not get killed by the coyotes. But meanwhile, a neighbor's cat was killed by a coyote. She was only out for 24 hours. And sadly, the person found the cat right at the same time the coyote found the cat and had to witness her cat being ripped apart. So it's pretty brutal out there. Um, and I know that I think next month Project Coyote is coming and they advise um, people to leave their cats and dogs indoors, um, especially in the evening. So we want to we don't want to, you know, if there's a, if they're feral cats and that's where they prefer to live, you know, then they'll, you know, that's, that's how it'll be. But if it's a friendly cat that has a chance at being inside, that's what we want to see happen. Um, so this was an experience I had, I had a member of the public who reached out to me and a few weeks before she reached out, she had found a mom cat and her six week old kittens in her backyard. Uh, when she called ACC, she was told to leave them outside. You can see uh, mom cat is gorgeous. Um, she's right at the door with her babies. Um, the, the finder is able to easily hold them uh, and they are just in this low fenced yard. Um, unfortunately, this story does have a sad ending. So just a warning. Slide. Um, and so this will be a graphic image. Uh, if you are sensitive, um, please do keep that in mind. Slide. Unfortunately, by the time she had contacted me, um, this mother cat had been killed by coyotes. Um, she was found, her remains were found near the yard where she had been living with her kittens. And uh, the two, two kittens were able to be caught. We were able to catch them, um, but two kittens remain missing. We don't know if they were, um, you know, killed as well or are just missing and orphaned. Um, and only now SFACC was willing to take in those remaining two kittens once they had been orphaned. Next slide. And we just wanted to revisit the mission statement of ACC. Um, a ACC is, says that they provide housing, care, and medical treatment, but now not for cats. ACC's or doors are open to all animals in, in need, regardless of species, but now not for friendly outside cats. And do they want to shelter homeless, neglected, and abused animals, but now not for cats. So they also can adopt, rehome, and reunite domestic animals with their guardians. But how can they reunite, reunite the cats if they're not taking in the cats? And we want to see that, that story of like that other kitty that was just recently brought in and, um, and re have these cats and reunited or an opportunity for a home rather than being outside. Um, and SFACC has a brand new shelter, I'm sure, as all of you know. Um, this is a 76.4 million project uh, with nearly double the square footage of the old facility, 65,000 square foot shelter, modern veterinary suites, uh, better ventilation, cleaning systems, mechanisms to control noise and odor. It should be great for housing cats in need. Uh, and even the mayor's office, um, you know, was saying that this is shelter is a place to go to take a found pet or to search for a lost pet. So this is not an issue of space. Um, you know, there is a brand new shelter, a state of the art. Next slide. Great. So this, we just want to go through some um, data that one of our savvy um, 
data people, cat rescue people put together for us. So this table shows that SFACC annual intake and live release rates from 1994 to 2001. This information is published on ACC's website for 2006 and later. We obtained earlier years through a public records request. Presented here are numbers only for cats. As you can see in the mid um, late 90s, ACC was euthanizing almost half the cats and kittens impounded. Two factors improved these numbers. SBCA uh, began a free TNR program for feral cats in 1993, dramatically reduced the outdoor cat population over time and thus reduced ACC shelter intake. Similar results occurred in studies of other communities that had been implemented into TNR programs. Tony Sestak, while volunteering at both SPCA and ACC realized that ACC had no kitten foster program. And as a result, many underage kittens were being euthanized. Tony started the kitten foster program at ACC in June 1999, as explained by the at, on Tony's Kitty Rescue's website. Underage kittens need a safe place to grow, and they are big enough and healthy enough to go up um, until they're ready to go up for adoption. They need to be socialized to people. They need vaccination shots and sometimes medicines. And the tiniest ones, bottle feeders, need to be fed with uh, little body bottle babies four to six times a day. In her first year at ACC, it was mainly Tony, Tony and a hand of, handful of volunteers. She, they did doing as much as they could, but each year Tony enlisted more people, um, more volunteers. In 2003, she organized her group into Tony's Kitty Rescue and received her nonprofit status. Since then, Tony's fostered over 8,000 kittens, quite a feat. Now at 84, 85 volunteers and still growing, TKR cares for 800 to 1,000 orphan, orphan kittens annually. Today, ACC does not euthanize for space, and intake numbers for cats have dropped to around one-third of the level seen in the 90s. Their live release rate for cats has consistently remained in the 90 percentile for the last nine years. And then the following chart we wanted to is a comparison to other municipal shelters. These tables show a comparison of the ACC's budget and intake figures per capita or per resident to other municipal shelters around the country. Budgets and shelter statistics were obtained from information available online, and we have provided data for both pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. In comparing ACC to other communities, we can see that San Francisco's budget per capita is around 11 to 12 dollars. Uh, of 11 to $12 is among the highest yet compared to other communities with similar and even much lower budget per capita, San Francisco takes in far fewer animals. San Antonio, Texas, for example, also has a budget of $11 per capita and achieved a live release rate greater than 90%, but took in 24,635 cats and dogs in a fiscal year 2020 to 2021 as compared to ACC's total of 3,561 cats and dogs for the same period. SFACC is well-funded and funded and operating out of a brand new state-of-the-art shelter. So why are they turning away animals and cutting programs? And then we just wanted to show um, the, the data for cats and cats that, just cats, sorry, that are transferred to our res rescue partners. So you can see that um, a good number of a good number of cats are are transferred to the um, to rescue, and many of the months um, more cats were transferred to rescue than actually adopted out. This shows that they have a reliable pathway to rescues, which gives them a higher capacity to take in cats. 
and just so you know, I will be um, sending out the presentation to the commissioners after, so you'll have it to review. Okay, so SFACC um, in their responses to concerned members of the CAT community have referred to guidance um, from the universities, Wisconsin, Florida, and Davis. Um, so they didn't actually cite these sources, so I'm not 100% sure if I'm um, looking at the right articles, but in my research, I found that articles focused on shelters that were incredibly underfunded, overcrowded, and high kill. Um, so for instance, New Paradigms for Shelters and Community Cats talks about uh, even friendly community cats are sometimes euthanized. This often takes place after efforts to find a home have failed. Um, in some cases, simply leaving friendly stray cats where they are or performing TNR or placing them in the community may increase their chances of finding a home rather than being euthanized in an overcrowded shelter. Uh, each year, millions of cats lose their lives in animal shelters. These are not SFACC. Uh, SFACC has a very low euthanasia rate. Um, they are not overcrowded and high kill. Um, next slide. So uh, in rethinking the animal shelter's role in free roaming cat management, um, uh, throughout the 20th century and into the 21st, ad hoc emissions of cats captured by members of the public with euthanasia being the most common in outcome. North America alone, hundreds of millions of cats have been impounded and euthanized. Again, these are not SFACC. Um, these studies are saying that the only reason they are advocating for cats being left outside in the community is when you have no other alternatives but death. Uh, when the bar is as low as euthanasia, anything is a better alternative. Thankfully, we in SF have the resources, the space, the partners to not euthanize for space. But why are we still setting the bar so low? These articles also advocate for comprehensive community programs in coordination with encouraging community sheltering. So for instance, um, offering low cost spay neuter for additional cats in the neighborhood can open the doors to education. Practical value of engaging with caregivers and concerning communities should not be underestimated. An individualized case management approach, calling in an advice nurse, this provides an opportunity to gather information, identify whether a shelter admission is the best solution, and provide alternatives where indicated. So SFACC does not fall into the category of overcrowded, underfunded, high-kill shelter. And as far as we know, SFACC has not rolled out any additional programs to support community-centered sheltering. So why are we going backwards now? Next slide. Yeah. So we've seen some successful programs eliminated or replaced at ACC. Um, I, I, like I mentioned, I was on part of the Orange program, the Orange Volunteer Cat Program, where the volunteers would exclusively exclusively work with cats when they came into the shelter. So these would be shy cats found from the street or cats that were stressed because they were surrendered from their home. We would also had a program of fostering, um, I'm sorry, socializing shy, under-socialized or feral kittens, which was great because it gave them an opportunity to live inside rather than on the, the dangerous street. So volunteers could come in on a regular basis, they could consistently work with the cat, give that cat a chance to adjust to the shelter. In fact, in a 2017 meeting that I was present at, a shelter representative told the volunteers that a result of that successful program, they had only used euthanized one behavior cat. So then these kittens would be socialized, 
and adopted out or transferred to rescue. So it was a great, it was a great successful program. And from what I understand, it's now been replaced by the PER program. Of course, due to COVID restrictions, changes were made. There are limited hours that the volunteers can go in, so they can't consistently work with a cat. Um, the pathway is also shorter to adoption, so the cat has less time to adjust to the shelter before either being um, recommended to return to the field in the, in the event of a kitten that may be under socialized or or if a cat, if an adult cat comes in or offering to rescue. Um, the kittens were uh, Behavior is rated. If the kitten is rated four or five, they're automatically TNR'd, and volunteers are not supposed to touch them. So I actually have a friend who has one of those kittens that they adopted that's actually super friendly, and um, that was rated a four or five. But now I, I don't even know if those kittens would have a chance and make it into the shelter. One thing that kittens do a lot um, when they're feral, they're found outside, right? They're trying to survive for their life. They theirs can be super spicy, but if you hold them for a little bit, it doesn't take long to win them over. It's it's kind of funny to see a little like four pound or four sorry, one pound kitten be a little sassy. So and then you can just totally win them over and turn them around. Other so successful programs that have been eliminated um, is called the CIP, which is called interested party. This is where if you found an animal. And, or, and you brought them into the shelter and you wanted to make sure you were worried that this cat or dog or whatever was going to be euthanized, you could say that you wanted to put a CIP on the cat and that you would be called before the, the cat um, was euthanized. I mean, I understand oftentimes, except this might have been an exception in the, in the case of a dangerous dog situation. But, um, but now a rescue has to intervene if somebody wants to help the cat. They have to um, contact the rescue if they know who to contact, and then I can email the shelter and say, "Hey, we can. We're willing to help this cat, um, so the cat is not euthanized. If the cat doesn't have, if the cat is not a candidate for adoption, um, all, often the other thing is open hours. You have to make an appointment to go into the shelter. This can make it inconvenient for people that are working full time jobs. They might not be able to bring it in the time at the time." Uh, the animal in at the time the shelter is available. And then there's also foster limitations. Only fosters that can go out to only kittens that can go out to foster are under two and a half months, um, which you know gives those a little bit older kittens uh, not a chance to get a little extra socialization where the one on one on one one on one interaction would benefit them. And what happens is the community takes on the burden where ACC does not. So members of the community often pay for out of their own pocket, getting these friendly cats and kittens vetted. And we put some of the costs up here of how what it costs. I mean, Nine Lives is a local Bay Area um, in Redwood City that has reasonable costs. So if you're a privately owned person, um, privately owned cats can get you know, 175, a rescue is 85 to get a spay. Um, if you want to pay for a private vet to do it, it can cost upwards of $1,000 and probably more in some places, but these are just a couple of examples. Um, Alina brought 61 cats to ACC, but 20 cats that were rejected by ACC went to Give Me Shelter. So here we're finding homes for these cats that ACC isn't taking on. So um, we, and just keep in mind, we're very small grassroots rescue. We adopt out about 200 to 250 cats a year. A lot of these cats are special needs. Um, or adult cats. And then Andrea's Dream, a local, another local rescue, she does primarily kittens, um, but she adopted about three, 300 cats in 2021. And we, um, Lana, the director of Gimme Shelter, she gets calls all the time. We get emails all the time, as does Andrea, 
about people finding cats and kittens and what to do. And I mean, that's why I think Alina has so many experiences with cats um, that have been found. So meanwhile, you know, while we're like pinching our pennies, you know, ACC has a $9.5 million budget and is a taxpayer funded open mission shelters. So that's why we wanna see them take in these cats. So we don't, we can then rescue cats from high kill shelters that don't have other options rescues like Andrea's Dream or Gimme Shelter. And we realized as we were looking around and doing research for our presentation that we're not alone. We're not the only ones speaking out about this policy. Just so you know, this policy and this movement is happening across the country all the way to New York. Um, <clears throat> that in some places, um, they're even leaving dogs outside. They even recommend leaving dogs outside or taking the dogs in you know, to house them yourself. Um, Rochester is a community that has 80,000 signatures on their petition. We have, uh, our community has a petition going. We're um, at 21 signatures and counting um, to change, to reverse this policy. You know, it's, it's sad to say, but Austin, who was a model shelter before, has now also um, started this policy of leaving cats and dogs outside. So. Um, Sacramento, which is in, in also in our area, is leaving you know leaving cats outside. So we want to see we want to see you know the communities speaking up. We want the movement to bring these cats back inside, especially in these shelters that are not high usage. And then yesterday, or a couple of days ago, this week while we we're presenting. You know, I keep seeing that SFACC is full of dogs. They don't have enough capacity to take in dogs. I keep seeing this on the social media. And I'm curious, like, I understand the concept of the custody dogs. They have dogs that are in custody. They have to keep them for a long time because the person is ill, person's in jail, or some kind of thing that's going on, or a bite, right? They have a bite um, situation and different kinds of things. And somebody's not muted. Maybe they could mute. It's a little distracting. Sorry. Um, um, uh, anyway, so they, they bring in the, uh, you know, so they keep say, posting this, but when I never saw this before when they were in the old shelter. So then they have this brand new shelter, but they don't have space for the dogs. And sometimes it's about getting innovative. What can we do to be able to take in these dogs? You know, how can we make room for them? How can we accommodate or find another solution? Um, and so then I saw this post on Nextdoor, which I, I don't really usually go on Nextdoor, just so you know. Um, but it came up that this person found this dog running outside and tried to bring, wanted to bring the dog or have the dog picked up by ACC. And this may have been after hours, so there's that. But the dog was obviously like overheated, old dog in the heat, running around. Fortunately, the person was able to house the dog. But what would have happened if the person wasn't able to house the dog? ACC wasn't turned the dog away and said that they could not take the dog. So what would have happened to this dog if the finder didn't house the dog overnight? I mean, for then the next morning, the person brought the dog to the shelter, they checked the chip and then went back to the, the their guardian. So it's just disappointing that what if this wasn't a person that had a garage to put the dog in? What would have happened to this dog? You know, lots of people or they had a they, they didn't know what the dog was like. So so we just want to see we just are wondering why this kind of thing is happening and let's get like innovative and figure out what we can do to house the animals in need, whether dogs or cats. Yeah, so going into being innovative, um, 
educating and supporting the community can be such a valuable option. Um, so in reports on members of the public that were rejected by ACC, um, a common thread was not only the rejection, but the poor customer service that were given to good Samaritans who were just trying to help animals in need. Um, they were treated rudely, flippantly, uh, they were condescended to and hung up on without any response other than putting the cat back outside. No matter what story they had, what backstory they had, what situation they were in, you know, me having several kittens in my house and then two maimed cats, um, there was just no exceptions, no other alternatives given besides put the cats back outside. Um, and this is the antithesis of how rescue and SF was originated with community and shelter working together, you know, grassroots um, individuals working hard and, and asking for help and to get these animals um, what they needed. Uh, rescues and the members of the public are invested in the care and well-being of animals. So why not work together to save as many animals as possible? Education is such an essential and necessary part of rescue and such a simple way to uh, you know, be able to give uh, tools and knowledge to the public, uh, which allow them to act with purpose and efficiency in, in when they're rescuing animals. So giving them just a simple information about what kind of cats to look for um, that are in need of help and what kind of cats aren't in need of help is such an easy thing to do, um, but was not communicated to any of the people who I was talked to and uh, reported being rejected by ACC. Um, and giving education allows um, purpose, efficiency, authority to educate others. So you're not having to continually have say the same things over and over. People will happily educate others. Next door is full of it. Um, it gives the public a purpose and then it reduces the burden on the staff of ACC. Um, it's so important not to leave the public in the dark and just throw them into what an advanced rescuer is, you know, trying their hardest to do without any support. Um, and when you do that, that's when things like injuries and accidents happen. When you have people who are not qualified, not trained, don't have the facility to take care of animals that they are, have not been evaluated, they do not know what the behavior is like, um, that is when things can get rough and get difficult. Um, so an ex easy example of how the community can um, be involved in rescue work is making the finder a foster. Um, this was not offered to anyone who called in with cats, um, healthy, friendly cats who could easily have been um, brought into someone's home. Um, none of these finders, you know, were were told that um, they could be a part of the program and be a part of the solution. They were just told to put the cats back outside. So, you know, finders are invested in the animal. They have the, potentially the capacity and room to take care of them with just simple training and resources they can responsibly and carefully take care of animals. And they may even become a valuable foster for life. You could ha potentially have someone like Maria who is running now a rescue if you just involve people in your program. Um, so SFACC uh, could really be creating community and empowerment uh, and continuing the legacy of grassroots cat, cat rescue efforts in San Francisco. And none of this language is foreign to SFACC. Um, the graph on the uh, visual on the left, on the right, is a uh, excerpt from the website, which specifically talks about exactly what I was just saying, um, how to determine if a cat is in distress. And it talks about the coat being dirty, missing patches of fur, wounds, illness, um, if a cat is 
scared stiff or if it's comfortable in its environment, if it's just a free roaming cat doing its thing. This is all already written out, but none of this was communicated to the people who called in or the people who were um, in person at the shelter. Very easy to be able to give this script and say that to people so that they can be making informed decisions about rescue. Next slide. So a great example of how this is done successfully is Oakland Animal Services. Um, this is an excerpt from their uh, website and it is repeated when people call in and when people come in in person. Um, so first they have a separate section for found kittens uh, and adult feral cats. So already making distinctions about what cat you have, what kind of cat are they, what can we do for different kinds of cats. And they start off by thanking you for helping a lost animal instead of telling you that it's your responsibility to take care of an animal and not animal care controls responsibility. Um, so they say that it's important for the shelter to get information about the animal that you are potentially trying to help um, so that they can put it on their website so they can evaluate whether or not this cat needs help. Um, this animal needs help, and um, they encourage you to try and find alternatives besides just contacting the shelter in order to get um, this animal back to its home or taken care of or rehomed or finding a forever home. Uh, and then finally, they talk about holding on to an animal for a little longer, essentially becoming a mini foster um, and relieving the, the shelter of burden of sheltering this animal by continuing to house them in your home. And that is part of their, you know, intro to when people call in. Um, and they lastly, they say to be kind, um, you know, they are thinking about the compassion side of rescue and they are repeating that and asking those who are trying to help to also be thinking about that. So in every way, you know, they are trying to incorporate the community and to um, support them in creating rescue decisions and helping animals in need. And finally, uh, you'll be happy to know that we're about to wrap it up. Um, and I, I do want to just note that all the photos that we used in the presentation are all members of the rescue community. So we did not take any photos from the internet, all actual photos of cats that the rescue community has dealt with. So we just want to end with our goal. Um, to, and our goal is to bring all to bring the healthy cats and kittens into SFACC. San Francisco, we have so many cats in needs and the members of the public, we cannot, we, the, and the rescue communities, we cannot do it by ourselves. We need ACC to provide these services for the cats. This has been going on uh, successfully for 30 years, and we've been able to control the population of cats in San Francisco. We are definitely a very unique place to have had that success. And we just wanna know why, we're curious why these proven programs have been abandoned and what can be done to support ACC to be able to continue to take in or take in healthy cats and kittens. So that's our goal for the outcome of this presentation. Um, and then potential future presentations, um, we had talked about having community cats program come in and talk about TNR specifically related to feral cats, which is unrelated to this. And then there's a whole different aspect of cat rescue, pulling from high kill shelters and that kind of thing um, that Gimme Shelter Cat Rescue does. So we take a lot of, we, we now take a lot of cats from the streets of San Francisco, but we also take cats from high kill shelters. So thank you so much again for this opportunity. Um, we really appreciate it and hope we didn't go too terribly long. So thank you. So I guess I should stop sharing.
Okay, great. I will go ahead and remove the presenter ball from you. Okay, well, uh, thank you for your presentation. I have to admit it was a little different than what I was anticipating, but definitely there's a lot of part there and yeah, I can tell how much you put into it. So I really, really appreciate it. Um, I did want to mention one thing and that is, um, I really appreciate you um, mentioning at the very beginning, the different areas in which uh, cats can be found and where communities exist and where even domestic animals can be, uh, can be, uh, can be lost and found. Uh, because I know for a lot of us, we think, oh, feral cats, um, you know, Golden Gate Park, uh, some of the areas where it's not, you know, quite as um, urban, if that's even a thing to say in San Francisco. But I mean, the fact that like animals are found in, in the TL, also in, in Lombard Street, it just kind of goes to show that it, it's all over and it's happening. So thank you for including all of them. Um, I did also want to mention um, what you said as well uh, towards the end about, yes, um, we are definitely very interested in at some point having um, SPCA come in and talk about community cats. And I'm hoping that we can definitely have some advocates, perhaps yourself as well, join us at that time, because that definitely is a, a, a conversation I think that would um, be worthwhile to have. Um, so anyways, what we'll do is we'll open it up for any comments or questions from the commissioners. Um, are there any questions or comments? Uh, uh, Commissioner Fortier, please. Thank you um, both for that thorough um, reporting there. Um, one thing that was unclear to me, you showed an email from Peter Lau, uh, a city employee Alan. stating, Alan. what is it? Alan, Alan. Oh yeah, stating that the the program is under review, but I didn't catch who is he, what agency does he work for, and and can you tell us about the policy under review that he give us more context there, please. The, that was um, he's a shelter representative. He's uh, one of the people. I'm not sure what his exact title is now, but he was like a anim, a what did they call them the uh, what do you call them in the shelter the AC. Animal care attendant AC. Yeah, yeah, AC. So he works at ACC. Yeah, he's now, I think he's now a higher level than he was before. I'm not sure what his title is now, but he, at that time, I think he was an ACA animal care attendant. And uh, he had emailed a member of the rescue community, a lady who did some trapping and communicating to her. This is before, like, this is, I guess, when they were visiting about this policy of leaving friendly cats and kittens outside. So this is kind of when I just wanted to sort of illuminate when it started. So that was back in March, 2019. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Yeah, I see. Yes, thank you. Okay. But he's from Animal Care and Control. Are there any other questions or comments from the commissioners? Uh, Commissioner Irani? Hi, um, first I wanted to thank you both for that presentation and for sharing the stories of these cats. Um, I, I know I'm sure we're all cat lovers, and so I think we were all touched by that. Um, my question is um, kind of the policy or the policies that you're proposing, um, such as like the Make Finders into Fosters program. Do you know of any other shelters that are doing this? Um, or doing um, so policies? I actually know that SFACC uh, had offered to do this for me before. Um, quite a few. When I first began, uh, I had a mom cat that gave birth to 10 kittens uh, and she was relatively friendly. 
Um, and I had found myself a uh, foster who was a feeder of the, the cat um, and they offered to allow her to be the foster. Um, but since you know that time, um, there have been no offers of that again. Um, and Oakland Animal Services, you know, they do uh, ask to collaborate in that way to see if you were able to hold the animals. Um, I'm not sure of the details, but I'd be happy to do more research onto that. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Commissioner Tobin. Yes, thanks so much. Um, this is a question for both uh, Maria and Elena. Um, I wonder if, are you getting, is there a two-way communication between you and ACC about any of these calls that are coming in for these animals that are out there, either reported by an individual which they can't get to, or, and I'm sorry if I missed this, um, or a cat, for instance, in the community cats colony, which I imagine might come from the SBCA. I'm not, I'm not sure, but are you being communicated with about animals in distress from either organization? I can take that first, Maria. Sure. Um, so from SFACC, absolutely not. Um, there, I don't believe that there is any uh, format to uh, contact volunteer trappers. Um, when calls come in about that. And one of the major um, concerns I also have about the calls that have um, been, you know, the replies that have been given to people calling in with cats is that uh, information about SFSPCA community cats has not been given. Um, so uh, SPCA community cats absolutely will contact us volunteers to come in and do trapping. I've had many um, projects assigned from them um, so they are a little less in the spotlight because they're not a municipal open door shelter. Um, they're a private shelter, so they aren't um, as known in the community. Uh, generally, when people um, think of who do I call, they're going to think of the open door, the, the public shelter or city shelter. So, um, but no, I have never gotten any um, information from uh, SFACC about um, cats in distress, usually I'm getting them secondhand when the people themselves who have been rejected are coming to me and asking for help because usually they've they've seen me on social media, <laughs> um, which is such an unreliable way to get information about rescue. So, you know, I'm like replying to people and and what to do with kittens and saying I can help and word of mouth. Um, they're just hearing about me. Um, so, you know, really not an efficient, not a uh, real program way of of dealing with this huge overpopulation issue we're having in San Francisco. Maria, did you have anything? Sure, and I would say uh, we don't have any direct communication with um, ACC about this, but I do know that Lana, our, the director of Gimme Shelter, gets calls all the time from members of the public. I, you know, just the other day she calls me and tells me somebody, a cat found on Goff and Turk, you know, what, what do I do? We get, we get calls all the time and emails. Um, the other thing is sometimes people bring in a cat or um, to ACC and they're worried about the cat. What's the outcome going to be? So then they'll contact us and then I'll email the shelter representatives and say, hey, we'll take this cat if they're not a candidate for adoption. So then the cat has kind of a backup plan. So those are really the only two kind of interactions I have for cats that are um, in need, I guess. That, does that answer your question? Yes, thank you very much. And again, thank you for your presentation. We appreciate it. No thank problem. You. Okay, any other questions or comments? I'm looking through and I think 
we've answered all the commissioners questions and comments. Um, okay, uh, so uh, let's open it up uh, for public comment. Uh, members of the public who wish to make a comment on this agenda item should hit start three on their phone to be added to the speaker's queue. Um, let me see, I think I saw a couple hands. Let me double check. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay. Uh, ooh. Just a minute. Let me look through real fast. Okay, we have a number of people in the queue. Let me just double check. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, we have about thirteen callers. We're gonna get everybody one by one. But I just say that so people are aware that there's that many people in the queue, so it may take a while for us to get to you. Um, because of the number of people, I do ask people again, just to be mindful of the two minute um, limit. Um, I hate cutting off people, so please, <laughs> I ask you to please be aware of that two minute mark. Um, also too, this is public comment. Uh, so, you know, generally this is, um, you know, you're trying to make a comment um, and we'll go ahead and start with the, with the first person. Okay, I'm gonna unmute you and you can go ahead and make your comment. Thank you. Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, um, my name is Rebecca Ward and I live in the inner Richmond. And in 2006, I was recruited um, by people with the SPCA, what was then the Feral Fix program, to feed ferals more so than trap them. Um, on 7th Avenue between Geary and Clement, I was feeding 10 feral cats. And about two years later, cats showed up that were clearly not feral. Over a certain period of time in 2008, we know the economic downturn happened. Two male unfixed feral cats, but friendly cats, showed up at the feral feeding stations. So uh, the point that, that I wanted to make is, I, I believe in difficult economic times like we're having now with the pandemic and with no more support to people from the pandemic and with inflation, it, it is the case that unfortunately people will just leave their animals when they have to leave San Francisco. So these two feral, uh, these two non-feral cats did get trapped and neutered um, and actually, you know, they continued to be fed by me at the feral stations until I could bring both of them inside. So um, I really think that, that we need to think hard about the idea that free roaming cats have a guardian in a home somewhere because in the economic times that we're in, that's not going to be the case, I fear, most of the time especially if the cats have not been neutered or spayed. So thank you, that's that's the comment that I wanted to make. Okay, thank you, Rebecca. Okay, I'm gonna go on to our next caller. Okay, you can provide your comment when you're ready. Thank you. Um, I just want to uh, thank the uh, folks who made the presentation today. Um, I'm a longtime cat owner uh, here in San Francisco, and 
you know, would definitely want if something happened to my cat to be able to go, you know, if someone brought it to ACC, that they would be able to get it scanned and, and brought home. Uh, and um, just, uh, I think the, uh, you know, the idea of being able to, to bring in cats that to be, uh, to be neutered, even if they have to be released, you know, back to the wild is uh, to, to feral colonies is much better than, you know, leaving them in place to, to continue breeding and, you know, continue possibly causing, uh, you know, trouble with birds or other uh, animals in neighborhoods and to uh, just be sort of left um, to continue to, to increase the population of feral cats. So I would uh, very much, you know, support, especially with the money that's gone into the new shelter um, that ACC consider looking into, uh, you know, at least the more TNR programs. Thank you. Thank you very much for your comments. Okay, we're moving on to our next caller. You can offer your comment when you're ready. Hi, my name is Janice Kendall. And I'm a longtime resident in San Francisco, and our kitty was adopted from um, HCC back in 2012, and she was owner surrendered. And there's no way she could ever survive outside. She's not at all wild. In fact, no cats are truly wild. They may be afraid of humans, and they're feral, but they're not wild animals, and they don't, even the feral ones don't survive well outside without some assistance from us. And it's, I'm just left very upset by listening to the presentation. I know a lot of this. I have volunteered at ACC and SPCA in the past. I've seen a different attitude in the past, and it's really changed. And I think that's due to leadership. And so it makes me wonder about the leadership at ACC. And this has been going on. We brought this up three years ago, and it's been going on and getting worse over three years. And I really hope you listen to what Maria and Elena presented. Thank you. Thank you, Janice. Okay, we're going to be going on to our next caller. Okay, you can offer your comments when you're ready. Can you hear me? Okay, uh, we'll go ahead and mute that caller. We'll go on to the next one. <clears throat> okay, you can offer your comment when you're ready. Hi, um, thank you for the opportunity to speak and thank you for to the excellent presenters um, for bringing up this issue. I really care about the cats in the San Francisco community, and I believe that ACC should revise their policies, uh, really helping the community with their resources um, and helping to care for these cats in the community. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much for your comments. Okay, moving on to the next commenter. Okay, you can offer your comment when you're ready. 
Hi. Uh, firstly, I'd just like to thank uh, Lena and Maria for taking the time to present today. Uh, my name is Eva, and I'm a taxpayer living in San Francisco, and I'm calling because I care about our city and I care about the cats who live here. It's ACC's responsibility to help care for these lost or abandoned cats by accepting them into their shelter or finding viable alternatives. Uh, that's what my tax dollars are paying for, and that is what ACC's mission commits them to doing. Uh, and so I really hope to see a change in policy. Thank you. Thank you, Eva, for your comments. Okay, we're moving on to the next commenter. You can begin your comments when you're ready. Thank you. Hi, my name is Dave. Um, I'm a taxpayer, homeowner, and I'm a native San Franciscan. And I've owned cats all my life, and I've been a donor for several cat rescue shelters. And I realized that in the past, as Alina indicated, that there was a system that worked. Fawn animals and strays were brought to ACC fixed and adopted out, but now the system is broken. And despite the thousands and thousands of hours of volunteers by Maria and Alina and others, there's just no place to bring them. It's my tax dollars that help support the ACC in doing their work. And part of that work is accept socialized cats, stray cats, and hold them for possible adoption. You know, there's so few resources, as indicated in Alina and Maria's excellent presentation, this city for animals. ACC is probably one of the few few places, the only recourse for these cats, and this their refusal to help keeps to help keep these animals just goes against their own stated mission. I'm I'm asking the commission to hear my and other concerns and to, to ensure that the ACC adheres to their stated mission to accept strays and for care and adoption. What we need is for the system to be fixed so that we have a community outreach, a relationship with the TNR people, with ACC, so this whole thing can work again. You know, the thing is, maybe other cities are also doing what ACC is doing now, but this is the city of St. Francis, San Francisco, is the city of St. Francis, you know, who's, who's the saint of animals, the protector of animals. This city needs to really understand what we should do to really make sure that animals and cats are taken care of in a way that's different from any place else. Thank you. Okay, thank you, uh, Dave, for your comments. Okay, we're gonna move on to our next commenter. Please feel free to start your comment when you're ready. Okay. Um, hi, my name is Kate Shelley. I am a longtime resident of San Francisco and a longtime um, cat companion. Um, I've been a previous volunteer at ACC working with the lost and found books, trying to match them up for cats and dogs. Um, also volunteering with an organization devoted to the human-animal bond. And I, up until three years ago, I, you know, was proud of what ACC did, finding homes for lost cats and dogs, taking them in, socializing them, connecting them with fosters. 
but they have swerved away from their stated mission to house and protect the animals on the streets of San Francisco. The streets and the wild areas, I live in an area where I frequently hear coyotes making kills of animals, stray cats included. Um, and I hope that ACC will reconsider its current policies regarding the animals on the streets and in the wild areas of San Francisco. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Kate, for your comments. We're moving on to, uh, let's see. Okay, you can offer your comments at any time. Thank you. Can you hear me, caller? Okay. We'll go on to the next caller. Okay, you can offer your comments. Hi, can you hear me? Oh, yes, yeah. we can hear you. Oh, okay. Um, my name is Amy Jones. I'm a resident of San Francisco, and I volunteer my free time in the community helping cats. Since 2016, I've personally trapped, rescued, or fostered 347 cats and kittens, and I would like to voice my concerns about ACC's new intake policies. Prior to these changes, I was able to, for example, bring to ACC roughly a dozen cats from the block that I live on in the Bayview. These cats were friendly and healthy, but they had been abandoned by their owner who had been evicted. Some were already fixed and some were not and were continuing to breed. Under the new policies, ACC would refuse intake of those cats simply because they appeared healthy and not in distress when the truth was that they had no home and needed help. ACC has also abandoned their once robust program for socializing feral kittens. ACC now advises any kittens eight weeks or older should be fixed and put back out on the street. Um, I think the presentation mentioned three months, but when I've asked the shelter, they've told me eight weeks. So an eight week old kitten weighs two pounds and the survival rate of kittens as um, mentioned in the presentation can be as low as 25%. Um, as someone who has success successfully socialized over 80 feral kittens in my house, and more at the shelter as a volunteer, the majority of which were over three months old. I could not disagree more with this policy, knowing that ACC has the capacity and resources to help this population of kittens. ACC does not use a nice for space, has a brand new facility paid for by taxpayers, an abundance of foster homes and rescue partners, and a robust adoption program and social media presence. So why is ACC doing less instead of more for the animals of SS? As a taxpayer and animal advocate, I expect ACC to use their abundance of resources to expand services to help more populations of animals in need, not create barriers to services and transfer responsibility onto members of the public. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. Okay, we're gonna go on to our next caller. You can start your comment when you're ready. Hi, my name is Nadine May. I would like to thank you all for asking for this presentation. Elena and Maria have worked very hard on this, and I would encourage the commissioners to not just rely on a quick glance at each slide, 
because there's a lot of information. So when you get the presentation via email, please, please take the time to go through it and take a look at the history, stories, statistics, and the pictures. I've been doing trap, neuter, return, and rescue work in San Francisco for more than 20 years. You saw a slide with some of my stories about trapping and another slide with stories about cats I have found in the course of my rescue work. In the past, when I found a tame stray or abandoned cat that I was pretty sure didn't have a home, I took the cat to ACC and placed a CIP, call interested party hold on the cat. Of the many cats I took to ACC, the vast majority were adopted to good homes. There were only four cats that ACC deemed not adoptable, but I had a CIP hold on each cat. So they called me, I immediately went down to ACC to get those cats out alive, and then I found good homes for all of them. The CIP hold is a win-win thing because not only can it potentially save the life of an animal, but the shelter's live release rate statistics are better. I'm a native of San Francisco and have always been very proud of my city for being in the vanguard on so many social, human, and environmental issues. There are no good reasons for rejecting healthy, stray, and abandoned cats. I ask ACC to return to its old policy of taking in any stray, homeless, abandoned animals and allowing members of the public to put a hold on the animal. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Nadine. Okay, moving on to our next caller. Okay, you can offer your comment when you're ready. Yes, hi, um, my name is Whitney Grover and I'm actually calling um, from Golden Gate Audubon Society, which represents members all over the Bay Area and San Francisco. So I wanted to bring up that there's another component to the impact of cats uh, on the street, and that is the impact to our native wildlife. Cats are an introduced non-native predator. Uh, we love them, they're adorable, but um, the reality is, is that they are a predator that most of our wildlife is, um, has not evolved to, um, to evade. Um, so I understand it's important um, for ACC policy and rescuers to make distinctions between free roaming cats and feral cats, but to wildlife, all outdoor cats are a danger. In North America alone, over 2.4 billion birds are killed by cats every year, um, and that includes free roaming, feral, and um, pet cats. They're the number one direct, um, it's the number one direct human cause for mortality for birds. Um, so the ACC has a responsibility um, to make every effort to keep all cats off the street. Um, and that's for human health, um, for the health and safety of the cats, as well as the health and safety of the rest of our native wildlife, um, who still call our urban environment home. So thank you so much. Bye. Thank you, Whitney, for your comments. Okay, let, excuse me real fast while I just do a little bit of maintenance. Okay. Okay, I'm muting the next caller. You can offer your comment when you're ready. 
Oh, you just uh, interrupted my feeding the cats. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I'll put the cat food down and sit in front of my notes. <laughs> um, thank you to all the commissioners, commissioners for being here this evening. Um, thank you to Maria and Elena for a really, really impactful presentation. Um, and, and the previous callers have said some really great things and I, I'm really appreciative of, of everyone's time and efforts this evening. My background isn't uh, so extensively cat connected, although I grew up with cats. Uh, most recently, my volunteering was with Project Bay Cat down in San Mateo County along the bay where cats literally live in and amongst the rocks and under the San Mateo Bridge. Uh, I was a feeder of said cats for about a year and a half um, under the um, direction of a woman called Mary McDonald. Great program. Um, uh, please don't dump your cats at the water because they can't live outside without human intervention. Not like you needed to hear that because you already know that. But anyway, uh, my anecdote was in support of uh, having the ACC sort of rethink its current direction last August 2021. I was in uh, Bernal Heights along Cortland, very busy road, lots of motorists do speed, do not use stop signs anymore. And I saw a cat as I was parking my own car, sort of dodging traffic, running to and fro across Cortland. And then I lost sight of him for a bit. I ran my errands and I came back toward my car and I saw said cat at the corner of Cortland and I can't remember um, holding his ground against two big, big snarling barking dogs that were just simply being held on a leash by an owner who I assumed found the whole situation humorous. And then finally that man went away and Kitty was meowing and friendly and rubbing up against my leg. He had ocular discharge, scratches across the bridge of his nose. Um, his fur felt sort of shabby or dirty or, you know, he's not eating well. Couldn't tell if he were neutered or not. He was, he's a huge cat. So I just, I just wasn't sure. And I thought, what do I do? What do I do? I'll let yeah. me pick him up. I'm walking and uh, Sorry, you're says, two minutes well, are up. Um, okay, oh, I'm going to have to mute well, you and go on to the next caller, okay? Long story short, I still have the cat. <laughs> okay, good. Thank you for sharing and thank you for your patience as you work through this. I'm sorry that I wasn't today. more concise. <laughs> it's okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Okay, next caller, we still have about, this is, we have three more calls. Okay, so this is our third to the last. Okay, you can make your comment when you're ready. Well, hi, yeah, I just, wow, I learned a lot tonight from this incredible presentation. Thank you so much for the commissioners for asking for this and and for Maria and Alina for doing all of this um, information. Um, I've been helping other folks who are in this effort to trap, uh, neuter and release cats and to socialize cats for adoption. And I gotta say, I. I, it's been a long road, you know, learning how to do these kinds of things to just be in support of their efforts. Um, I am a longtime San Francisco cat and dog owner. I've gotten, <clears throat> excuse me, I've gotten all my pets from the ACC or the SBCA. They're all rescue animals. Um, and I'm really kind of shocked to hear that ACC, with all the resources, has been turning this kind of work um, back to the public. And as a 
you know, as a member of the public, I don't, I don't think I would have been equipped, except that I've been learning over these last few years how to do this kind of work. So I think that um, that's the thing that I got out of this presentation. There are so many wonderful community um, organizations, nonprofits with uh, the trap and neuter um, groups and the, the rescue groups and the groups that are trying to get cats adopted. Um, I think the public has been, you know, really incredibly in supporting these organizations and would be willing to help in many ways um, with socializing or fostering and can be partners with ACC if there's a problem with capacity, which I don't quite understand that there is a problem, but if there is, I think the public could be enlisted to help in so many ways. You know, I, I've been doing, you know, just sport work for a few years and I, I find it very rewarding and, you know, love to see more cats um, taken off out of the, um, the feral communities if they're friendly. I hate to think of being, you know, more babies being born out there and being eaten or run over or having more babies of their own. You know, hearing Alina say that, you know, it's not even one year. Uh, pregnancy can be, you know, twice in a year. It's just that's too much and kittens as young as four months old. So I think um, uh, I just want to say, you know, I'm willing to help out and I think other people are too. And I, I would encourage ACC to, to uh, change their policy and start helping take these healthy, friendly cats and get in them, getting them homes. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much for your comments. Moving on to our next commenter. You can start your comment when you're ready. Thank you. Hi, my name is Dania Fodi. I'm a San Francisco native. Thank you so much for the presentation. Um, I help people find lost cats um, in the community, and it's a lot of seniors and disabled people that I help, some reclusive people, and I can tell you for sure, the first line of defense is having San Francisco AC have the open doors because when people find cats, the only thing they think to do is to bring it to San Francisco ACC because, you know, people just can't take in a cat or they just, uh, whatever the reason is. And um, um, cats that get out, even though they remain there, are very timid and scared, the ones that aren't used to being outdoors. And if they don't find their way home, sometimes they're right there practically, but they won't go inside there in survival mode. So it's often a neighbor that will help find, or someone like me. Um, Lost Cat Ninja was taken to the ACC 71 days later. I was doing everything I could to try to find this cat. And if San Francisco ACC hadn't taken Ninja in, who found four pounds, um, he, he would have perished. Um, I, um, yeah, I'm just praying that San Francisco ACC will continue to be and be compassionate. People dump cats all the time. And we're even waiting to like take them because we need a place to bring them. We need a safe environment to bring these defenseless, defenseless um, cats that often get dumped. Ah, sorry, I know I'm kind of babbling, but um, thank you so much. And I uh, really have learned a lot. Appreciate it. Thank you. I believe you're muted. Hello, this is thank Elsa Granis. Thank you so much. Sorry about that. You can start your comment. I apologize for that. Oh, okay, sorry. 
Um, this is Elva. I volunteered for ACC for five years, socializing feral and behavior cats. I also oriented new behavior cat volunteers for over a year. Many of us have had a parent ask, if all your friends jumped off a cliff, would you jump too? It's sad San Francisco ACC has jumped off a cliff as they implement practices that go against the common sense and the reality of our city's outdoor domestic animals. Volunteer trap neuter release programs have drastically reduced our homeless cat population. Leaving unfixed healthy cats outside to reproduce more homeless cats defies all logic. Leaving cats to wander around busy intersections is not ethical. Leaving lost healthy cats and dogs out when there are coyotes roaming around is cruel. How about aspiring to reach the mountaintop and welcome animals into the brand new shelter? Instead of focusing on shutting them out, find ways and methods to improve the animal's shelter experience. Please return to the goal of getting more animals adopted out of our shelter and into homes rather than inappropriately dumping them back into vacant lots and yards or sending them to other shelters that are miles away. The PER program volunteer group meant to socialize feral and behavior cats and kittens is a shell of what it once was. There are few PER volunteers and they usually only go in once or twice a week. That's just not enough. ACC foster volunteers need better support as well. Please let's all attempt to get up to the mountaintop and do better for San Francisco's animals and be an example to aspire to again. Thank you. Okay, thank you, Elva, for your comments. Going through the queue again, it looks like there are no additional comments, so we can close public comments. Okay, thank you so much. Um, so um, let's see. So thanks again for being with us tonight, Maria and Elena. Uh, we're all very touched by your compassion and also your passion for rescuing. And we thank you for all that you do and all you, and everything that all the other advocates do for our cat population. Uh, we look forward to seeing you at our November meeting uh, for our follow-up discussion. Okay. Thanks again for spending your evening with us. Thank you. Okay, so moving on to old business, uh, reporting from animal care and control, uh, animal care and control report regarding outcomes for animals and ongoing operations. Dr. O'Neill, uh, please feel free to start your report when you're ready. Okay, thank you. Thank you for um, organizing that really well, Michael. <laughs> that was a lot to get through. That's great. Um, I took copious notes, so hopefully um, next month I can address the, the main concerns from both the presenters and um, the folks that commented. So um, more on that. Um, as far as what's going on in the shelter currently, um, things that are coming up next Tuesday, we are hosting uh, the city administrator's department head meeting. So we're gonna have about 80 guests um, from various departments around the city. Um, they're holding their meeting there, but they're also gonna have tours and we're gonna just kind of talk to them about what we do at the shelter. Um, we've had a couple of, um, large intakes, um, that are kind of putting a strain on everything. We had a hoarding case of cats that started coming in yesterday. They're still kind of coming in today. I expect there'll be about 20 in total. 
Um, and tomorrow we're expecting about 20 rabbits um, from a similar situation. So kind of working with that. We are full of dogs. Um, this morning we only had two open kennels um, for dogs. So it is a little bit tight. Um, currently in the shelter, we've got two birds, um, 105 cats, um, 57 dogs, 24 smalls, which are rabbits and guinea pigs. Um, four reptiles and a few in the wildlife room, which I think already transferred, which were birds. Um, we have 64 animals in foster. Most of those are cats and kittens, um, 52, um, one chicken, um, five dogs, which are puppies, and then um, six others, which are bunnies from the last big um, impact um, impound that we had. So they're a little bit small for spay neuter yet. So they're in foster growing up before they come back. Um, other than that, I don't have a lot of updates with just, you know, kind of daily operations. Does anybody have any questions about that? Any questions from the commissioners? No, I don't see any questions. Okay. 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 Thank you so much for your report. Um, let's see. So, uh. Uh, let's open this up for public comment. Um, okay, currently I do not see. It's Dr. Van Horn. I have a hand up. Okay, I'm sorry about that. Uh, about that, Commissioner Van Horn. Can you go ahead and please? I apologize. I I just wanted to ask Dr. O'Neill if the the shelter has gotten any headway in getting. More support staff for their veterinary office at this point. It's been an ongoing issue. That has been an ongoing issue for the 8 years that I've worked there. Nope, it's still the same group. Um, 2 vets, 1 and a half technicians. So, we're still the same. Um, I mean, hiring has been slow as you guys know, and all divisions are a little bit short. Um, so, you know, you know, often I hear comments about. You know, the beautiful new building and it is beautiful and it's um, really not working against us like the old 1 was and it is a lot better in a lot of ways. Um, but it did not come with any new staff. Um, same same group of folks and, you know, actually some attrition that we're still trying to hire back. So, um, all that is the same and um, same number of enclosures as well. You know, there was not a huge increase in number of animal enclosures um, in the shelter. Physical space, and uh, you know, I advocate every year for another technician minimally in the vet room, but um, every year it has been declined to be added to the budget. So, just to clarify, there, there are there open positions in um, in the veterinary clinic right now? No, that's it. Okay. And we're and we've been told repeatedly we're not getting any new positions. Okay, that would require a, an adjustment to the budget. Correct. Okay, thank you for clarifying. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Commissioner Tobin, did you have your hand up or did you have a question? I did. No, I actually have a question. It's, it's a follow up to that question. In the absence of being able to hire staff, are, do you have contract um, technicians or contract um, veterinary services that you can employ? To deal with some of the um, excessive intakes that you're taking in regards to like dogs or 
cats or um, how do you handle like that kind of barrage of um, intakes? Um, we just handle it. There's nobody else there um, that's going to come in. We don't have any folks that are on contract. I mean, trying to trying to get a vendor contract with anybody, as Dr. Van Horn can attest to, is extremely complicated, lengthy, and um, tedious. I would say it typically takes about a year um, for one of the contracts to go through. We still don't have an emergency vendor um for our after hours support so you know our animal control officers are handling all those emergencies themselves with you know with my guidance um up until midnight when they're off duty um so we do the best we can um i mean i think i've spoken before um the shelter medicine folks at spca um you know are, are slowly gearing up their staffing as well to help a little bit more with spay and neuter that's been really helpful whereas last year we didn't have that during high season um, but they're still at four days a week um, but we're sending a lot more animals there that their way so that helps us a lot with the spay and neuter burden um, they don't do any of the rabbits so that kind of falls to us um, and then you know typically if there's um, difficult to handle animals we try to do those in-house rather than logistically having to um, transport them back and forth um, if we can um, so that's helpful um, you know when we looked at the data from last year's kitten season and just kind of how we were underwater a lot of that backup was um, spay neuter you know in the vet division because of that but we basically had 15 more kittens per week than we're leaving or coming in. So we talked to SPCA about trying to minimally pull that kind of baseline number so that we kind of break even. Um, and they've been really good about doing that regularly. Um, so that's helped with the, the kitten piece of it. As far as the dogs go, it's really tough to say. I mean, we're there are a lot of custody animals that stay a long time. There are a lot of owner surrenders that are there. You know, a lot of these are not necessarily strays. Um, and it just, you know, the situation presents itself where they have to come in. Um, I mean, that's why some of the puppies are in foster. You know, we just kind of had an overflow. Um, mm -hmm. It's really difficult to find fosters, um, especially for um, dogs and bunnies, I would say. Um, and then there's been times where even, you know, kitten foster gets pretty full as well. Um, you know, Tony was kind of out of homes. Um, it depends on the demographic of the kitten. Um, it's not all fosters can do um, all things. You know, some of them like to do bottle feeding, which is a really high skill set and takes a lot of time. And some of them prefer the older kittens. And so it just depends if our demographic matches up with the foster skill set, how many open homes we have, if that makes sense. Yes, it does. Thank you. Yeah. One one last follow up question. Are you still working with the Peninsula Humane Society with the van that comes in and does free spay neuter? They came in, they've been having problems with staffing and they had a problem with their vehicle, but they came um, a few months ago. Yes. And they kind of, they set up on Alameda um, and I know they had a line there. Um, I think they're slowly gearing up i think they were um you know off with the the pandemic and then trying to get staffing for it and then um uh the vehicle issues um so they are starting up again it's just really limited okay last follow-up question to that if you were gonna 
wave a magic wand and say, these are the three things we need most to, to unclog the system, what would they be? It depends on which system we're talking about. We were talking about this um, today. Um, myself and a few other folks are doing kind of a boot camp on pathway planning and just, you know, kind of the ins and outs of the shelter. Um, and there's a lot of areas we identified that kind of create a bump. Um, I think, you know, for me personally, um, as far as that staff being able to do more, we need more RBTs. Um, we're upside down as far as, you know, having 2 doctors and 1 and a half nurses means the doctors are doing a lot of tech work. And the technicians are doing a lot of volunteer work, um, always recruiting volunteers to help work in the vet room. So I would say, um, technical staff, um, they've taken on a huge amount of all of the medical needs for the fosters, which is a lot of time for them during high season. Um, we're treating more ringworm. We're treating pan Luke. We're, you know, we're treating things that we haven't before, but we only have so much space, time and bodies um, to do that. And so if we're going to treat ringworm cats that stay 3 or 4 weeks before they cure and can be adopted, you know, that takes up a lot of time where they could be doing something else. Um, I would say the second thing would be a foster coordinator, like an overall foster coordinator, because we're seeing that when we get full of not only cats, but dogs and rabbits and whatever, um, it would be nice to have one person to kind of handle all of it. Whereas right now it's very piecemeal, right? So we have one ACA that kind of manages the rabbit fosters and then we have you know, Tony and her group and some of our staff are managing the kitten fosters and then a whole nother group is doing dog fosters. And I do agree that, you know, fostering would be a huge tool for us um, to expand our capacity. Um, it's difficult to find fosters. I mean, we lost a lot of volunteers that didn't really come back after COVID and um, people are back to work. Um, obviously, fostering takes time depending on the needs of the animal. So we are having a lot of trouble recruiting and retaining folks. And I think if we had someone that kind of oversaw that program, um, it would help streamline things. Um, what else? And then I think probably the third thing um, would be more, um, I would say, you know, a lot of our work we've done on the back half of the pathway planning as far as, you know, once the animal's already here, how do we get them to where they need to go? So that's been the focus of um, a lot of our work. What we haven't worked on yet, which is what we're looking at now, is what happens on the front end. So, mm -hmm. I mean, some of the, you know, some of the comments about, you know, can we do more with you know, community outreach and helping support people in the community. I mean, I'm, I'm all for doing, you know, foster to adopt in the home, or if you can hold on to the animal, they can kind of do their stray period in someone's home. And then, you know, if no one comes forward and they want to adopt, great, you know, and then the animal's not in the shelter and not at risk for disease and stressed out and all that kind of thing. But, you know, all that takes resources. Um, that we don't really have. So I would like us to work on kind of the, the front end of things about, and this is part of um, what we're talking about with the cats as well, but it's really all, all the animals, you know, what can we do to keep animals in their home and not coming to the shelter to begin with, things like that. And it's just beyond our reach to do things like public 
vet clinics and, you know, public spay neuter and low cost care, like with the vet staff we have and the staffing we have right now, we, we can't offer that. Um, so, you know, we're trying to work with people that do, but it's still falling short. I think of what the community needs as far as low cost care and accessibility to spay neuter. Okay, thank you very much. Yeah. Sorry to put you on the spot. That's okay. I, I mean, I can come up with a lot of things, but my top three. <laughs> that's all I gave you. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Yeah, thank you for the question, uh, Commissioner Tobin, and thank you, Dr. O'Neill, for your very honest answer. Um, let me go back now. It doesn't look like we have any more questions or comments from commissioners. So, I sorry, Anne-Marie. Um, Dr. O'Neill, um, as you you said, you would come back and and review some of the questions that were brought forward by the by the community tonight. And one of the things that I might be help might be helpful, certainly for me, is to understand when we talk about the capacity of the shelter. Um, and you know, it, it seems to looks like a big shelter, but as you brought up, um, you only have so many techs and so many vets that that. Um, but could you help us understand? And maybe this isn't really the time to do it, but help us understand when you say you have an intake of twenty cats, how many spay neuters can you do in a day? How many like triage can you do? Like it, this is where I think the there's a disconnect um, and a, and a miss. I mean, I certainly. I'll speak for myself. I don't understand what it means. If you get 20 cats dumped on you in a day, um, how does that work? And, and regardless of how many fosters are out there or anything else, they have to go through this process. And, and if you could, if not now, maybe at another time, kind of walk us through that so that we have a better understanding of the, the resources that, that are strained and it, it may or may not be capacity, um, that, that would, that would help. That is a big question. Um, let me try to summarize. So there's a lot of different ways that you can calculate capacity. And this is just kind of looking at your shelter data, your ins and outs, your staffing, your time, and where the bottlenecks are, right? So every animal that comes in gets certain services, right? So everything that comes in um, either an animal control officer or an animal care attendant is going to put hands on and they get all what we call intake, right? So they get their photo taken, they get all their information put into the software system, they get vaccinated, they get parasite control, you know, all that's a little different depending on the species. Um, you know, then they have to have physical space um, for the kennel, right? And then beyond that, usually we give them a little time to to settle. We try not to do everything all in one day, right? Um, and then vet staff, either myself or Dr. Weeman, do exams on all the animals. So all of them get, um, you know, a, a wellness exam. And then um, depending on what we find or don't find, you know, we kind of can separate everyone into categories as far as, you know, does the animal have a condition that they are fine for adoption, or maybe, you know, there's something minor that adopters probably won't, you know, need to have a lot of investment of time or money into. And so they could be a special adopt, or do they just not fit criteria at all? Or worst case scenario, which is rare, just on a regular intake, you know, is their quality of life so poor that they're a euthanasia candidate? So there's, you know, categories that we put them in for the medical side of it. And then behavior team looks at every animal too. And they have their own system of kind of grading and saying, you know, is this adoption worthy or not, or this is a good um, 
transfer partner candidate, those kind of things. Um, and then there's the rest of the services for, you know, spay neuter and everybody gets chipped and all that kind of thing. And then the pathway coordinators for the dogs, cats, rabbits, or whatever, kind of figure out where everybody is, you know, do they go to the adoption floor? Great. Um, or do they need to look for transfer? And then there's, you know, probably close to a hundred partners that we work with that all have their own criteria of what they want. Some people only want older cats. Some transfers only want puppies. Some transfers are breed specific. So, you know, there's all these kind of categories. We don't just, you know, shotgun an approach because it doesn't make sense, right? So whatever that particular niche is, then the pathway coordinators try to match everybody up to get everybody where they need to go, right? And so we try to do that as quickly as possible because the longer the animals stay, their days in care or length of stay or whatever metric you want to call, it builds up, right? Like I was saying, we were getting 15 more kittens in than we're leaving. So the longer they stay, the more that builds up. If they're not leaving, the other ones are still coming in behind them. So you have what's called fast tracking, which is adorable, healthy, cute kitten, comes in one day, gets altered the next day, goes to the adoption floor, goes home that weekend, great, in and out, quick. But then you have like, you know, the special cat that's maybe a little overstimulated or has a minor medical thing, that's gonna take longer. And that's okay, as long as you balance the fast trackers and kind of the ones that are a little bit slow, right? Um, so all that is to back up. So when 20 come at once, they all still have to get that done. Um, it's just when it happens all at once, um, yeah, it creates a, a big, um, you know, block in the system um, where everybody's got to have services at the same time. And that's part of the way of, you know, for the dogs right now, like, if this is a surrender and everything is fairly stable, can you hold on to it for a day, two days, three days, give us a chance to kind of move some of these others along and make space for you. Um, and so that's what I was talking to Jane about is that what can we do on the front end to kind of sort that out so that the animals are coming to us if they need to come to us at all, if we're the best place for them to be, can we give them the right care or is are we not the place to provide the right care? And then, you know, can we get them to the right place um, after they go through the system? So capacity has to do with not only numbers of animals, but it has to do with how many people care for them also. So when everything is full, you know, even the volunteers, you know, that want to get to every cat or every dog, you know, sometimes they're not able to if there's too many. Um, and then, you know, things happen all the time to just kind of get everything off track. <laughs> if everything was kind of a steady, you know, numbers of intake and everything was, you know, nice like that, but it doesn't happen that way. And that's why we try not to have every kennel full, because then what happens when you get 20 rabbits? What happens when you get 20 cats? And then there's like a whole shuffle that happens to make the space. Um, so yeah, it doesn't ever happen nice and evenly. And then of course, I mean, in the vet room, then it's, you know, emergencies. There's a high rise cat or there's, you know, a wildlife issue. Um, and my staff does all of that. Um, so as far as how many, you know, spay neuters and things we can do in a day, it depends. I mean, I'm fast, but I only have one tech helping me. 
So she's doing all of the induction and I'm doing all of the recovery. If all I had to do was stand there and do surgery and I had three technicians to induce, recover and manage the day, I could do a lot more. And I can only do surgery in the morning because then I've got all the other exams and all the other things to do in the afternoon. So I'm not dedicated just for spay neuter. It's all, it's us all the time. So I, you know, I could describe a typical day <laughs> for you, for me. Um, but the fact is, it's different. You know, it's different every day. Um, and when we get these kind of things, and that, you know, that is what we're here for. You know, the owner goes to the hospital, or the owner is in jail, or the owner dies, or, you know, there's a hoarding case that needs to be dealt with immediately. That is why we're here. Um, but it doesn't make it any easier. You know, so. Well, Does that answer your question? Us. I was rambling. Well, it was a big question, so it, it gives us a little bit of um of a perspective on things. Yeah, it's it I, it was helpful for me. Thank you very much. Okay. And I can, you know, I as far as the presentation next month, I mean, I'm I think I'm gonna change it a little bit based on what we were talking about tonight. But part of it was kind of shelter basics, like length of stay and capacity. So I I mean I can go through that as far as you know how we look at it and how you know how we're measuring it. I don't, you know, it's obviously I could go on for hours about things like that because you know it's interesting to me to look at the data and yeah actually say if something's working or not, we can measure it. Great. Um, but I also don't want to take up everyone's time on it. So I can touch on it briefly um was my plan just to kind of define it and you know do a little quick and dirty but um you know most of it has to do with some other things that we clearly need to address too so well thank you yeah okay thank you um let's see do we have any other questions from commissioners okay seeing none i looked earlier for public comment and do not see anyone in the queue for public comment so we can close public comment. Uh, thank you uh, again for your report, Dr. Neal, and thank you for, for the additional um, responses to the commissioner's questions. Okay, uh, moving on to uh, commission governance. The commission will vote on a resolution allowing uh, to continue to meet remotely. Tonight, we are going to vote on the resolution to allow us to continue to meet remotely. The resolution making findings to allow teleconference meetings under California Government Code Section 54953E. As the resolution covers a 30-day period, this resolution we will vote on tonight will apply to tonight's meeting only. As our next meeting isn't until October 13th, that's beyond the 30-day period. So we will no need to vote on this resolution again at our October meeting. But that resolution will cover both our October meeting as well as our November meeting. Our November meeting falls on November 10th. So a text of the resolution has been uploaded to our website as a supporting document for tonight's meeting. A copy of it was also sent to um, commissioners earlier this week. Uh, are there any questions before we open it up for public comment and then vote on the resolution? Okay, seeing none. Um, Members of the public who wish to make a comment on this agenda item should hit star three on their phone to be added to the speaker's queue. Okay, and I do not see anyone in the speaker's queue. 
or in this yeah in the queue to make a public comment. Uh, so uh, when I call your name, please say yes if you're in favor of approving the resolution or no if you are not in favor. Uh, Commissioner Chan. Yes. Commissioner Fortier. Commissioner Irani. Yes. Commissioner Ozernoy. Yes. Okay, Commissioner Tobin. Yes. And Commissioner Van Horn. Yes. Great. Okay, thank you. The resolution has approved. Uh, now moving on to item number seven, items to be put on the agenda for future commission meetings. Our next meeting will be held on October, I'm sorry, on Thursday, October 13th. This meeting will be held remotely. Please reach out to me by the Friday before our next meeting with any proposed agenda items and any supporting documents. For our next meeting, that date will be Friday, October 7th. The agenda and any supporting documents provided to the commission by that time will be uploaded to our website, sf.gov forward slash animal commission by the Monday evening before the meeting. So for our next meeting, that will be on Monday, October 10th. Uh, next month's agenda will include a presentation on animal on the animal admissions policy at SF Animal Care and Control, a presentation on the proposed shock collar ban in San Francisco by advocate Ren Vol, ongoing reporting and sharing of news and special events from SF Animal Care and Control, as well as a vote on the resolution allowing us to continue to meet remotely in October and November. Um, do any commissioners have any questions or anything else to add? Okay, uh, seeing none, um, we can adjourn. Uh, thank you to everyone for being a part of tonight's meeting. A special thank you to Elena Ja and Malene and Maria Conlin, and also to everyone who is uh, who attended from the public. I know this was a, a meter that a meeting that went on a little bit longer than um, than some of our earlier meetings. So I really appreciate everyone for your time and for being part of the meeting tonight. Okay, so it is now. 746 and we are now officially adjourned. Okay. Thank you everyone and good night. Thank you. Good night. Good night.